0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Arthritis at Home. I'm Cheryl Cohen. I'm with Arthritis Consumer Experts, your host of this terrific weekly program, and it gives me great pleasure uh, to welcome one of my colleagues. Uh, You know him well, uh, but again, it's Kelly Lenvoy. Kelly is our Vice President of Communications and Public Affairs, And we're here to chit-chat about the just published Joint Health Insight for February. Welcome to the studio, Kelly. Thanks, Cheryl. Listen, let's dive right in, Kel. Um, We have a really meaty topic uh, for this issue of Joint Health Insight. And it really is about the state of arthritis. And we like to call it on the street. Meaning uh, it's what people with uh, arthritis, people who are dealing with all facets of arthritis uh, are experiencing when it comes to trying to live their best life possible uh, in the context of their diagnosis. Um, One of the really important articles in this issue, and there are several articles and we'll touch on those in the course of this interview, but let's start right off the top with um, the article on state of arthritis in Canada report card. This report uh, was led by Arthritis Society Canada in collaboration with the leading organizations in arthritis, including our own. So those perspectives that cover patient, clinical, and research. So if if uh, if if that sort of. Um, that's sort of the perspective. It's, bit, it's a bit three-pronged, uh, but the best and the brightest came together to kind of sit down and really focus on what is the actual state of the union in terms of arthritis um, experience. So what were the key takeaways uh, from from this important report?
1: Our audience often hears about you know the advancements that are being made in treatment and care, and there are and it's exciting. But at the same time, um, there are significant gaps. Um, Because of a lack of government attention and funding, arthritis continues, the care of arthritis continues to vary from province to province, territory to territory. We don't have a unified uh, approach or a national strategy like other major chronic diseases, uh, like cancer, like heart and stroke, like diabetes and now mental health. So I think this report that you you cited, it's kind of a classic example where the glass is half full and half empty at the same time. And I think um, led by Arthritis Society Canada and collaborating with leaders like ACE um, in the patient group world and clinical care world, research world, the community got together, put together this report card and gave grades to the provinces and territories. And I think almost quite predictably, no one got A's, um, no one got B's either. Um, The highest grade I think that was achieved was a C. So, so much more work that needs to be done. And certainly our audience knows we talk about models of care for arthritis in Canada, um, it really is essentially a report card on what is the state of those models of care and identifying gaps. And in terms of gaps, key takeaways, I think, first of all, um, access to care is still a challenge. So depending where you live in Canada uh, can determine the type of arthritis treatment or care you get. social determinants, depending on your ethnicity, on your education, um, your income, uh, there are disparities in care that must and need to be addressed. Um, I mentioned about underfunding. uh, That was another key takeaway. Arthritis research is underfunded, especially compared to other chronic diseases. More investment is needed. and for us to make the case uh, you know, every, every major chronic disease has sort of what we call a, a business case, some compelling evidence uh, to change government action, to shift uh, focus on, on policy and, and, and public policy priorities. Uh, we simply need, as a community uh, the arthritis community needs better data. Uh, our data right now is inconsistent across the country uh, it's not substantial enough and too siloed or specialized uh, and and presents a challenge for us to prevent uh, like a clear picture of what the state is across the, the country where where the gaps are and what the solutions are so that is the report and it's it's distressing um, because, obviously, as a community, we've been through this um, for decades now. So I think this is a really uh, a call to a call to arms for the community um, to give us focus uh, as we move forward uh, with policymakers and other key stakeholders across the country.
0: Yeah, that's a really good, and I know the report is is quite needy, so I know that you've given uh, really the, the sort of high-level takeaways. Um, as a patient myself, Kelly, when you say we need more data, you know, we give, we are asked to answer forms, fill out forms ad nauseum, it seems. And I just wanna say to those who are watching, we have so many people with arthritis who do tune into arthritis at home, that that data doesn't just go into a black hole, it is, it is looked at. So when we say we need more, that's exactly uh, what we mean. We need more, we need better ways of looking at it and comparing it across provinces so that we actually do know where uh, gaps are. So if you're being asked to fill in forms, please know that they the data that you're providing one is so sort of vital to making improvement and and people do uh, look at it, health researchers do look at it and rely on it. So thank you for doing your part as a person who's actually living the experience of arthritis. Um, I want to talk about another article that's in this month's issue of Joint Health Insight, Kelly, and that's about you talked about models of care in, in, from the report card uh, angle or perspective. When we look specifically at, at Northern Canada, you know, if we were to sort of imagine a map of Canada, the population is heavily distributed along the U.S.-Canada border. And then as it goes further north, we see a dwindling of population. So, Tell us about the attention of the arthritis community right now on Northern uh, care for people with arthritis. I know that's another area we've been involved with. Um, and, and you can speak, uh, I think a bit of, about that topic right now.
1: Sure. Um, well, you're right. I think ACE um, is helping lead efforts to raise an awareness for this issue uh, across the country. And we're partnering with other patient groups and we're partnering with leaders from the rheumatology uh, community and rheumatology associations to address it. And I think, as you said, uh, quite simply and and clearly, um, there is a problem uh, with the care that people receive in Northern rural, remote Canada, it's not a great surprise. It's not just arthritis. It's uh it's chronic disease management as a whole. I think it's particularly obviously a challenge and a serious one for all of our, uh, members and our audience who are living with inflammatory arthritis who require, um, A swift diagnosis, Um, they require timely, culturally appropriate care from their arthritis specialists. They absolutely must have access, reimbursement access to affordable, effective non-medication and medication treatments. And unfortunately this isn't happening right now in Northern areas of Canada. And when you look at patient populations, for instance, indigenous people living in northern rural Canada, um, the evidence is is very sharply uh, clear that they experience a higher prevalence of inflammatory arthritis and face even steeper barriers to access care. So it's a big topic. It's not just a medical topic, it's uh it's a topic about health equities and inequities and people living in the North should not be receiving uh, inferior care because of where they live. Kelly, mm-hmm. so the
0: piece of the solution is really about rethinking what arthritis health professionals do up in the North and who can do what and trying to expand the, the skill set across different health professionals. We've done that with pharmacy We've get, you know, there are now new laws that allow pharmacists to prescribe certain types of medications where they have received additional training so that it's safe and effective to do so. Tell us about how how this could work in arthritis.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that uh, the annual meeting held by the Canadian Rheumatologist Association and Arthritis Health Professions Association is occurring in uh, in Winnipeg in February this year. Um, the Arthritis Health Professionals, um, and that is uh, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, um, other people, uh, prof- uh, nurse practitioners, um, uh, are are really. I mean, they they are a key to to helping solve this this issue about care in the north, and there is this increasing uh, focus on how we can, as you say, s- expand the scope of their practice and sp- expand the role that they can play. Um, and we're really excited, and we talk about it in the uh, in this edition of the JHI. We're really excited that we've worked together collaborated with the Ontario Rheumatology Association on a Northern uh, Arthritis Care Initiative and have have been successful so that the ORA now is implementing these types of solutions where they're expanding the role of arthritis health professionals to improve access to care in the North. So we're really excited about the work that the ORA is doing and we think it's a blueprint Uh, For the rest of Canada and we're going to be talking to the provinces and the territories about adopting similar models or elements of that model uh, into their own models of uh, the delivery of care in their in their uh, in their regions.
0: So that turns uh, us now Kelly to another article that focuses really on um, indigenous health and what is happening. Uh, specifically to close the significant gaps that exist in uh, arthritis care for indigenous peoples. We know about the higher prevalence. Um, we know about uh, the real the real constraints uh, uh, towards access to care. Um, you know, rates being more severe, I think our audience and healthcare professionals and governments need to understand that the foundational driver for all of this um, is, uh, is really a direct result of intergenerational trauma uh, from resident Indian residential schools, 140 plus years of racism, and the inability of indigenous peoples to actually freely practice their own traditional uh, health practices and beliefs and how integral these are to actually working with um, uh, the medicines that we can call colonial medicine has to offer. So when you think about um, some of the things we've been doing with our own indigenous uh, advisors, what are some of the things that can be done to provide culturally appropriate care, respectful care, humble care uh, to indigenous peoples across uh, the
1: land. This is a focus for ACE, uh, certainly over the last uh, five or six years, uh, actually under your co-leadership, Cheryl, um, with our indigenous advisors. and some concrete things are are coming out of that, um, and we'll have links to some of these initiatives at at the end of the uh, of the episode. Um, in terms of advocacy, in terms of what we in a community, an arthritis community, is asking for is to first of all to to call on all of us, not just to recognize the calls to action but to make significant attempts to connect meaningfully in a respectful and trustful way um, with those indigenous communities that you're describing who are at higher risk, as you said, and face disproportionately um, much more challenges and difficulties in in accessing care. Some of the things that when we, Spoken with our Indigenous advisors as well as um, rheumatology experts working in this field, such as Dr. Cheryl Barnaby uh, in Canada, there are some, I guess, new and innovative ways that we can think about delivering uh, Indigenous healthcare uh, in those culturally appropriate ways that you that you mentioned. Um, And that is, I guess, adopting principles um, informed by trauma-informed care. You talk about 140 years plus of racism. Um, That's not overcome in a matter of days or months or years. So it's a long process. But we have to start somewhere. So how can we work as advocates to help create a safer um, more supportive environment for individuals who have experienced trauma. Another key area that we're looking at is how can we uh, enhance uh, access and coordination through navigation models. Um, through our own national survey work, ACE national surveys, we've we've found that Indigenous peoples have a living with arthritis. Face disproportionate challenges to navigate the uh, healthcare system in Canada. It's it's very confusing. It's uh, it's not culturally sensitive. Um, it's a it's a real barrier. So helping them navigate, how can we do that? Um, and then finally, um, we talked about uh, expanding the role of healthcare professionals is there a way to do that in the context of delivering arthritis care to indigenous peoples? Um, We think there is. We think there's models of patient care facilitators or arthritis liaisons um, who could um, help uh, enhance the delivery of care to um, not just individuals but to communities and improve, uh, improve outcomes. So some Real practical ideas and solutions that um, we've started talking to to provincial and territorial governments about.
0: Yeah, you know, there's also uh, superb models of care that exist on reserve. I'm thinking of our own Indigenous uh, advisor, Dr. Terry Lynn Fox, who leads um, a whole program area on mental health and addiction for the Blood Tribe as part of their Department of Health and has won an award um, from the premier in Alberta on the excellence of this model. And and in actual fact, it being an umbrella, uh, the the mental health and wellness umbrella that could cover a number of different chronic disease areas. And I think uh, it's approaches like the ones that she and her colleagues have spearheaded there that have been super exciting. And so it's important for non-Indigenous clinicians, non-Indigenous researchers to understand that there are models of care that do exist on reserve uh, and with the support of some of the tools that you just mentioned, Kelly, uh, can offer uh, a a, a greater support system, if you will, um, to Indigenous people. So Lots of progress to be made, but um, we're we're on the path towards truth and reconciliation, and I think that's fundamental to to addressing the gaps in in indigenous health. I, I, one last question for you, Kelly, um, and it's related to uh, biosimilars. Uh, as you well know, uh, arthritis consumer experts, Uh, once safety and efficacy was assured and we understand how they could fit into a policy and practice environment uh, in a safe and effective way. um, We've been championing the reinvestment that would come from biosimilars policy savings for many, many years now. And now that all but one province has implemented biosimilars transition, meaning uh, people who are on the originator of a biologic are moved by a policy to the biosimilar and savings are achieved. Where do you think we are in terms of reinvestment of that, saving, which was a key pillar of our advocacy platform? Where do you think we are now, Kelly? I think all but one province has gone with uh, implemented policy. So it's a good time to take a look and to sort of offer our audience a a bit of a a comment, I think, uh, um, assessment on on where you think we're at.
1: Uh, Canadian public drug plans now offer reimbursement coverage for biosimilars, um, not just to treat autoimmune diseases, including inflammatory arthritis, cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, and diabetes, but over the past few years, multiple sclerosis, psoriasis, and most recently uh, retinal vascular disorders. So the number of patients being treated by biosimilars has increased dramatically. And the expanded use has also occurred because of some of these policy changes that you've talked about. So what we're looking at now is These public drug plans and private drug plans aren't just going to be saving hundreds of millions of dollars, they're actually going to be saving billions of dollars over the next few years. So this is, uh, I guess you could say this is like significant fiscal breathing room um, for stressed out government budgets and one of the commitments that certainly we received from every public drug plan, for instance, who we've collaborated with, who we've consulted and we've advocated for, uh, the use, the expanded use of biosimilars, was precisely to realize these savings and reinvest reinvest them, not just into arthritis care, but into care for all those other diseases that I listed earlier who are affected by um, policy and who are taking biosimilars. And what we've heard from practically every one of these drug plans, um, including uh, most recently, Ontario, the largest province in Canada, uh, who has uh, implemented biosimilar transition policy to expand the use. What we've heard from them is that these biosimilars and the savings incurred by biosimilars are going to help fund new drug therapies. Are going to help boost um, the the listing of existing drugs across formularies. Life saving drugs. Let me add. Right. These are these are not just life changing, life saving drugs. Um, and then more generally or vaguely, they talk about how it will help bring you know innovation into the healthcare system. And obviously a favorite one for them as well to talk about you know, better connected patient care. So this is all great in theory. I think the challenge for ACE as the leading patient advocate when it comes to biosimilars uh, in Canada, not just in arthritis, but I think across all therapeutic areas Um, in that role, we're trying to determine concretely where those reinvestment of savings occurring so that we can share it with the patients, with the doctors, the whole, the whole ecosystem uh, around the patient uh, taking uh, a biologic uh, therapy and so, we're going back to the provinces. I mean, some of them have you know have reported back. So BC uh, transparently has talked about how they have reinvested those savings to cover um, long requested drugs that were under review for a ridiculous amount of time uh, for new diagnostic tests, and I think significantly for additional uh, nursing support um for uh, for patients with particularly uh, inflammatory arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease other provinces talked about you know how much money they can save and how that money is going to go back into it but maybe don't provide those examples so we're going to try and press them for that that if uh, if Saskatchewan for instance when they ended, introduced their policy said they're going to have saved 20 million dollars annually um, where is that money going um, so that's a really um, important part of our work. So um, our our efforts uh, around uh, raising uh, patient education and advocacy around biosimilars uh, is not slowing down at all. In fact, yeah. it's increasing because yeah. it's it's so important. And I'll just I'll cite one more example that we talked earlier about the ORA's initiatives in Northern Ontario and improving the care in Northern Ontario. Um, That that support that they received from the government, um, although not explicitly tied to biosimilars, I think you could say probably had a lot to do um, with the uh, savings that have uh, begun to be realized by Ontario and where they're reinvesting.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. The timing seemed uh, more than coincidental um that's terrific thanks so much uh kelly for sort of giving us uh, a bit of an update there with respect to biosimilar savings reinvestment but uh, of course all those other topics that we discussed uh this has been a, a bit longer an episode of arthritis at home but actually at the beginning of 2024 uh we wanted to give our viewers a really good um sort of uh Handle on where we are on some of these bigger discussion topics taking place at the organizational level of arthritis. Um, not to mention uh, making clear to everyone we are by, for, and with people with arthritis, and we understand what the lived experience is day to day with arthritis because we're doing that ourselves. So I uh, just want to thank you for your time and expertise. Uh, We look forward to seeing uh, you again on a future episode of Arthritis at Home and uh, we wish everyone in our audience
1: well and we'll see you again next Thursday. Bye for now.